The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Good morning, everyone. How are we? Good, good, good. Hey, let's pray together, all right? Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for an opportunity to be together and sit beneath your word. Uh, I pray that you would nourish us with it this morning. I pray that, um, God, there's just, I know that there are so many needs in this room this morning that you and only you can meet. And uh, we just ask that by your word and through your spirit, um, you would do that this morning, that you would be our counselor, our comforter. And as we look at this verse about walking through valleys and shadows and darkness and your presence with us in them, would you strengthen our faith? Would you pull us together as a body? And would you prepare us for the dark days we might be in, for the dark days we might be heading into? And would you teach us how to rejoice in the good days when we have them? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like Matt said, for those of you uh, that maybe knew or maybe missed last week, we're doing a brief three-week series through the most common, well-known chapter in all of Scripture, possibly, and that's Psalm 23. Uh, Its words have graced many a Christian coffee cup, many a Christian bumper sticker. Some of you may have some t-shirts next to your big dog's apparel that says, the Lord is my shepherd across the front. Okay, this is a very common, well-known verse. You don't have to be a church person to know this scripture. Actually, anyone in this room ever seen the movie, uh, The Book of Eli? Yeah, anyone? Okay, good. It's a Denzel Washington flick. It's an an apocalyptic age. And Denzel Washington, I'm gonna spoil the movie for you. He's blind and he's carrying the only Bible left in existence. And you don't find this out until late in the movie. And and his co-star is a wide-eyed Mila Kunis who is journeying with him, unaware of all that's going on. I actually want us to watch a scene from that movie real quick. Can you roll that, Bob? Do you really read the same book every day? No, fail. Will you read some to me? Please? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Beautiful. You like that? Did you write that? Yes, I did. Really? No. <laughs> no. No, that was around a long time before you and I got here, that's for sure. Man, so Denzel, right? Like I could read like I could just read anything and I'm in. Um, much less scripture. Uh, so hey, right here, point proven. Uh, Hollywood. This is, they, they, Denzel's got a Bible. What's the one verse we want to have him read? Psalm 23. It's a verse not only probably Denzel Washington that we now know has memorized by heart, but probably many of, many of us in this room actually know by heart. But the great prince of preachers, a guy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon, 
preaching on this text said something that I thought was very profound. He said, I hope many of us in this congregation have this verse committed to memory by heart. But I hope that even more of us, I hope that all of us also have this verse written on our hearts by heart experience. We've experienced it. We know what it means that the Lord is our shepherd, that we lack nothing. And so Spurgeon's point is simple there. He's saying it's one thing to be able to say the verse, it's a few words long. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. We can memorize this, but do our hearts know it? Do they understand it? Do we believe it? Have we had it written on our hearts as a felt reality? Well, um, what does it really mean that the Lord is a shepherd? I mean, that's a, we don't know a lot of shepherds these days. And much to Mila Kunis' surprise, Denzel Washington did not write the 23rd Psalm. Uh, the man who did was a young King David, who was the great king of Israel. And little known fact, maybe for some of you, King David was actually a shepherd as a young man, meaning he watched sheep vocationally. That's what he did. He spent nights and days with sheep in fields. And David, as he wrote this, knew intimately what the relationship between a sheep and its shepherd looked like. So this is a metaphor here. The Lord as a shepherd us as his sheep. And to David, as he wrote this, its implications were very crystal clear. Less so to us. Not a lot of shepherds in the room this morning, I'm guessing. Not a lot of us that came here from tending sheep. Not a profession or vocation that we're all that familiar with. We'd likely more connect with this verse if it read today in 2018 as, the Lord is my barista. He fills my cup with steaming hot coffee. I wake with him, yea, my cup overflows. Or the Lord is my social media manager. I have followers for days. Thank you, Lord. Or the Lord is my agent. I get good gigs and I shall not want. These are the kind of things that would connect for us. But really, as I thought about this, there's really no modern day vocation outside of shepherding, which still happens all over the world, that really connects these dots the way David is intending them to be connected for how the Lord intimately loves and cares for and knows and guides us who he loves to call his sheep. So what exactly, as David's writing, does the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep really look like? I wanna say three things. First, what shepherds do and why David would describe us, the Lord, as a shepherd. Shepherds give their lives to provide and care for their sheep. Shepherds give their lives to provide and care for their sheep. Something you need to know about sheep, if you don't, sheep are very helpless animals. Left to themselves, they wander off, they get sick, they die, they cannot care for themselves. That's why there is the profession of shepherding. They are very timid, sheepish, skittish animals. That's why we have the term sheepish. Picture me trying to ask my wife out for the first time. It's a good picture of a sheep. Very sheepish, very nervous, very timid. Sheep are also very stubborn and dense animals. They are very set in their ways. They will get stuck in the same rut time and time again, try to crawl through the same little hole in the same fence time and time again, eat the same poisonous plant time and time again, always back, always forgetting. For this reason, shepherds who choose to give their lives to care for sheep are on call 24-7. They are, it is a watchful, wakeful, intentional, sacrificial profession of presence and daily care for these needy, needy creatures called sheep. 
shepherds aren't, uh, they don't have the luxury of having a side hustle. I doubt anyone in this room has gotten into Uber anytime recently and had their Uber driver tell them, you know, this isn't my real job. Oh, really? What do you do? Oh, I tend to sheep. I just Uber on the side. Not something you, you hear all the time. I imagine we get into Uber. Oh, I'm an actor. I'm an actress. Shepherding? No, because shepherding is something that demands all time from us. It's a 24-7 vocation of intentional care and radical self-sacrifice for these animals. The parallels here are not subtle for us and the Lord. The imagery of us as sheep and God as our shepherd is one of the most common themes and metaphors throughout all of scripture. God loves to call us sheep and he loves to refer to himself as a shepherd. In Isaiah 53, six, he says, we are all like sheep and we've gone, we we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. In 1 Peter 2, 25, the word of God says, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd, Jesus, and overseer of your souls. Jesus, when he reinstated Peter after Peter had been sifted like wheat and failed and denied Jesus three times, questioned Jesus. And when Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you, Jesus's words back to him three times were what? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Jesus loves to call us sheep. He says, you're needy, you're in need of care. But Jesus also referred to himself as our good shepherd. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus says he's the good shepherd. And what's the one qualifier he gives here immediately saying, I'm a good shepherd, you're my sheep. Here's the qualifier, you ready? I lay down my life for my sheep self-sacrifice. Those of us that are familiar with Christianity and its message at all know that literally Jesus wasn't using metaphor when he said he's laying down his life for his sheep. The very purpose of his coming to planet earth from the throne that he had eternally dwelt in was to lay down his life for needy sheep on a cross. This is not metaphor. So one thing David is saying when he says the Lord is my shepherd is this, the Lord is absolutely committed to and available to my care 24 seven. I have a shepherd who is present, who is able, who is with me and who cares deeply about me. Secondly, not only do shepherds provide and care for their sheep, but shepherds defend and protect their sheep. They pr- defend and protect their sheep. See, sheep are weak and vulnerable animals, like we just said, and they're susceptible to all sorts of elements, to harsh weather, to attack from predators like snakes and wolves and dogs, even poisonous plants. For this reason, shepherds are constantly on watch to defend and protect their sheep. David, being a shepherd, would have literally fought off bears and wolves with his own hands to protect his sheep. Shepherds spend wakeful night hours cold in the field watching over their sheep. They fight to protect their sheep. They move them to safer pastures when conditions become unfavorable. And without the shepherd's protection, sheep would be picked off one by one by predators. So David is not only saying the Lord is committed to my care, he's saying the Lord is my shepherd. He's always watching over and guarding my life from predators. From anyone that would want to destroy me, the Lord is attentive to me. Lastly, shepherds own their sheep. They own their sheep. Most shepherds literally bought their sheep. They're a resource. They love them. They care for them. Shepherds care for their sheep because they are their own. They know them. They grow to love their sheep in unique and specific ways by individual sheep. So anyone who would say this morning with King David, the Lord is my shepherd, 
I shall not want. You're not just saying God cares for my needs, God protects me and defends me, but you're also saying, I am my shepherd's and he is mine. The shepherd is my master. I belong to him. I trust him and submit to him. So I wanna say this. We cannot have the promises of the shepherd's care and protection if we're unwilling to surrender to him as our master. David is saying, I rejoice that I am my shepherd's and he is mine. This is no begrudging relationship. I'm cared for by God Almighty. He's my shepherd. Now pause because the idea of quote unquote being owned, like I'm owned by God, is probably about as attractive to most of us in this room as a root canal, right? The ethos, the air we breathe today says what? True freedom, true happiness, true self-revelation is found not in being owned, but in being my own. I am free. I'm going to find, I'm going to speak my truth. I'm going to find my truth. I'm going to do what feels good for me. I'm not going to let anyone get in my way or hold me down or tell me the way I should live my life because I'm my own master. And so to come into this church this morning, I'm not, I'm not doing this blindly thinking it's, oh, it's going to hit everyone's ears. Oh, good. I'm owned by the shepherd. But the word of God right here that we proclaim as inerrant and infallible and true would push its weight on this point. And so I can't not. It would say, if we're willing to sit under it without squirming out, that true freedom is found not in autonomy, but in being owned by the right master. And it would also tell us that everyone in this room, whether you're aware of it or not, is shepherded by something. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Everyone in this room, everyone in this city, everyone in this world is counting on something to provide and protect for them outside of themselves. Everyone in this room is drawing their significance and security from something or someone outside of themselves. There's a fancy theological word that I really love called aseity, A-S-I-E-T-Y. And what that means, it's self-sustenance and God alone. It's something that belongs to God alone. God alone is self-existent, able to sustain himself, to not draw on any external resources for his identity, for his sustenance. He just is. From before time, God had aseity, self-existence. We don't have that. We understand that we are weak and vulnerable to the world we live in, that apart from someone or something external to us telling us who we are, that we don't know who we are. And so we seek out shepherds. You would never put it that way, but that's, the, what, that's what's going on. We're looking for something to shepherd us, to make us secure, to tell us we're significant. So anyone that wants to make this statement, I am my own, I'm my own. All we're really saying, if we dig down deep underneath the soil of that statement is this, I reserve the right to choose my own shepherd. I reserve the right to decide who cares for me, tells me what I am and provides for me. So for many in this room, potentially, maybe your shepherd is a full bank account. If you were really to read this verse in honesty, you might have to read it. My full bank account is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I can go to it for security. There's money there for me waiting and I won't be in want. For others, maybe it's love or romance. My significant other is my shepherd. If I have them, I'm okay. For others of us, Maybe it's your career or your accomplishments or your reputation or your social media followers. My good name is my shepherd. 
what people think about me and say about me in the public sphere tells me who I am, tells me I'm okay, and tells me I'm secure and safe. So here's what David's saying here. He's saying all those things, they're not necessarily immoral or bad things. A spouse or a lover is not a bad thing. Money in the bank account in and of itself is not an evil or bad thing. Social media followers and a good career is not a bad or immoral thing. But David is saying this, that's not what I trust. That's not where I draw my significance and my security. That's not what sustains me when the day goes dark. The thing that sustains me is the fact that I am sustained by a good shepherd who, I mean, think about this, walk outside and look up. See the stars in the sky. Billions upon billions of endless galaxies. Our sun being one of the smallest stars that's lighting us from 92 million miles away. And think the God that placed those, holds them in place, knows their temperatures right in this moment. He's my shepherd. He's attentive to my needs. He's intimately watching over my days and my hours. He knows my thoughts and my anxious ways. And he cares. And David's saying, that's better. That's better than a full bank account. That's better than any love of a human. That's true security. And if I have that, I could have nothing else. And I have everything because I'm cared for by the one that holds it all. Psalm 20, verses seven and eight, just earlier, David wrote these words. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. They are brought to their knees and they fall, but we rise up and we stand firm. David's saying all these ways that a shepherd cares for sheep, they're just a shadow of the way the good shepherd cares for his sheep, you and me. They're just vague, opaque, dim reflections of the true glory of how God cares for his sheep within the church. Do you understand that God cares for you this morning? Because if we're gonna journey into the territory, if we're gonna journey into the territory we're about to step into together in verse four of this Psalm, we gotta have this understanding rooted deeply that God is a shepherd, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that everything he does is for our good, even though, even when we can't understand it. So let's move forward. Let's read the first four verses of this Psalm together, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. This was way better when Denzel read it. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Verse four, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For the first three verses here, we're in beautiful good places, right? That sounds like a pretty good gig. The shepherd is making us lie down in a green pasture. Yes, please. Nap time is over suddenly and we're up again. He's leading us beside still waters now. I don't mind to walk along some still waters. Yes, all right, sign me up, lovely. Next, he's refreshing our souls. This is a good gig we have here. And then we're being led in right paths or paths of righteousness. Okay, I can get on board with this, right paths. But then suddenly a turn. <laughs> we're walking down these right paths and out of nowhere, we're in the darkest valley or what other translations might call the valley of the shadow of death. What an unfortunate turn of events. Something I want us to see here. How do we get into this dark valley? 
It was right paths that led to this dark valley in this psalm. Something I want us to see this morning for those of us that may be in a dark valley right now. At times in the Christian journey, following the good shepherd in right paths will lead us into dark valleys. So the first question when suffering comes or when darkness comes from light and we're left on our back looking up, the first question that comes across at least my mind is why? Why? Why, God? I like the pasture much better than the valley. And with that, what did I do to get myself into this situation? Like, were there, was there a series of decisions I could have made differently to avoid God? I thought we were just walking together and yet I'm in this valley. Well, there are times in the Christian walk where simple obedience to God because of his providential wisdom and things we cannot see will lead us into the valleys. Now, I wanna be clear. There are times and there are valleys that are self-inflicted because of disobedience, because of an unwillingness to submit or follow the shepherd where he's leading us, because of choosing our own way over his. I think of the prodigal son in Luke 15 who came to his father and said, I want what's mine now. And he was out of there and he wound up eating from a pigsty. That was self-inflicted suffering. But this Psalm, gives us a different type of valley, a valley that was ordained by God for his good purposes that we were led into with him walking beside us. Why? We don't always know right away, but what we know is we know his heart. We know that he led us there for our good. We know that he led us there to grow us, to stretch us, to show us that he's enough in the valley, just like he was enough in the green pastures. He led us there for our good. So are you in a valley this morning? Are you in a shadow? Are you asking why? Are you saying how long? Well, you can know this this morning and you can ask, search your heart, search your heart this morning. Is this valley of your own making perhaps? If your own sin has led you into a valley, if disobedience and, the, and your choice to sin has brought suffering into your life, all you need to do is know two things. One, know that the good shepherd is seeking you out. If you are one of his sheep, he is after you. He goes, he leaves the 99 to find the one. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He wants to bring you home. Recognize your folly and turn and run back towards him. But if you are in a valley and as you search your heart and you say, God, I just was trying to follow you and here I am in suffering, then do this. As hard as it may be, as much as you may not understand, trust the shepherd with your suffering. Trust that the shepherd is with you. Trust that he led you there for his purposes. Trust that he hasn't abandoned you. Trust that he will lead you through and stay close to him. The same sun that melts the ice can harden the clay. The same sun that melts ice, meaning the same suffering that makes some soft can harden others. Be that ice that says, God, I'm gonna trust you. I don't understand this is hard, but I trust you in the valley. Also, I want us to notice how the language of Psalm 23 shifts as we leave the pastures and enter into the valley. Verses one through three are written in very impersonal, descriptive language. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes, he leads, he guides. But as we enter into the dark valley, David shifts his language. It becomes very personal, very intimate. No longer is he saying he, but he's talking directly to the Lord. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not fear for you are with me. I will not fear. 
This is no coincidence. Philip Keller, who wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 and was himself both a metaphorical shepherd of a flock at a church and a literal shepherd for years of a flock of sheep, gave him, which gives him a unique insight into this text, explains that during summer months every year, shepherds, literal shepherds, they lead their sheep out from their ranch where they're safe to graze in the warmer weather on higher pastures where the snow has been melted up above in the mountain plains. So they say summer's coming, they take their sheep and they lead them up the mountains. And as shepherds lead their sheep, they must lead them slowly through dark crevices and valleys along the mountainside. It's the only way to ascend. These valleys are often dark, precarious, precarious, harsh, and full of predators like wolves perched along walls and snakes hidden under rocks, ready to attack lame or disobedient sheep who have wandered from the shepherd. And Keller writes this, speaking about why this language shifts. He says, during this time, the flock is entirely alone with the shepherd. They're in intimate contact with him and under his most personal attention day and night. And this is why the language shifts. One of the reasons that the good shepherd leads us through dark valleys is revealed here in the shift of the language to this intimate personal form because dark valleys are where we learn deep dependence upon and connectedness to the shepherd that we simply can't learn in the pasture. It's where we learn by experience that the shepherd is enough, where we feel his intimate care and protection in unique and transformative ways. Keller talks about how on the ranch, where these sheep are, they learn their way around. They know where to go for certain things. They know where the water is. They know where they can be fed. They have their favorite spot or tree to lay down under. But when the shepherd leads them up to these highlands, all of a sudden in these dark valleys, they don't know where to go for anything. Everything, their very life is dependent upon the shepherd in all things. He has to show them and lead them by hand to water. He has to show them and lead them by hand to their food. He has to keep them united together on this journey to higher planes. There's great implications for us there. See, when things are good and things are comfortable, we know where to go for what we need. We feel safe, we feel secure, and we honestly feel like we don't need the shepherd all that much. But when darkness comes, we realize how weak, how vulnerable, how needy, how much our very lives depend on the shepherd's care. And it's in these moments, as the shepherd leads us, feeds us by hand, enters in and draws near in a new and unique intimacy that we learn trust and dependence on the shepherd. It's one of the good purposes the shepherd has in this valley is to show us his sheep, his ability to provide and to grow intimacy. We can learn also from Keller's reflection on verse four, why the good shepherd leads sheep he loves into dark valleys. As Keller says, he's leading them to higher lands. Dark valleys are the good shepherds, Jesus's chosen path to higher spiritual ground. Dark valleys are the good shepherd's chosen path to higher spiritual ground. Those of us that long for deeper intimacy with Jesus, that have said things like, I just wanna know God, I wanna feel him more, I wanna be more effective in his service. I long to go deeper in the Lord. We talk about desiring mountaintop experiences. We talk about being, having our spirits lifted and, and, and having new heights in our walk with God. But we forget and we think the way this works really if we could write the script down is that the good shepherd would rent a chopper and he would load us up and he would fly us up to the valley and drop us off 
where it's safe and the sun is shining and the snow has just melted and there's dew on the grass. It's not the way the good shepherd works. He leads us to higher ground through dark valleys. He leads us to higher ground through dark valleys. He shapes our character. He prepares us. He teaches us what it means to hope. He teaches us the nature of patience. Have you ever met one of those people who are just a deep well? Like they're just a, they just have this, they're like the spiritual Christian Yodas. It's like you come to them, I'm just struggling here, my friend. This, you're opening up, and they just know what to say. They know how to say it. They know what not to say. They know how to sit in silence with you. You guys know these kind of people I'm talking about that are just comforting presences that are full of the Spirit and close to the Lord? Let me tell you this. You know what marks every one of those people? They have been in the valley with the shepherd. They've been in the valley with the shepherd. They've been shaped and molded by his care there. They've been taught patience. They've been taught faith. They've been taught contentment in suffering. And that makes them able to minister. One of the unique things about water, we all know, is water runs through the lowest point, right? Water runs through valleys. Water runs through, it doesn't run on the highlands. It runs through valleys. Suffering, literally, and valleys, literally, this is weird, but it, it's like water running through our souls and it carves crevices in them. And it, it gives these low lands that the Lord's spirit is able to minister through us, rivers of water flowing out of us, carved out by suffering. And if you've never suffered, you just haven't had them carved and you're not able to be the comforting presence that those who suffered are able to be. Are you in a valley this morning? Take heart. The good shepherd is using it to lead you higher. It may not feel like it, but he is working. He doesn't waste his time. He doesn't waste our time and he will not waste this valley. Our suffering is not out with purpose, is not without purpose and meaning in the good shepherd's care. Let's continue on. David says in verse four, Lord is my shepherd, even though I walk through the darkest valley. One of the things I want us to see is that we walk through these valleys. We walk through them. We don't get stuck in them. For the, for the believer in Jesus, no dark valley is a dead end. Now, I want to I think. You might, be, you might hear me say that. No dark valley is dead end. You think, Tyler, let's be honest, though. Like, what about when I die? Like, what if I actually die from this? Like, that happens. That's something that happens. 100% mortality rate on planet Earth, apart from Jesus. For the believer in Jesus, hallelujah, even death itself is not a dead end. It's a doorway. Jesus conquered death and sin and the grave and resurrected in power to prove that it had no hold on him. And so even if the valley takes our lives, we are promised life on the other side by faith if we are followers in Jesus. There is no final destination valley for the believer in Jesus. They are all 100% something we walk through. The end game for every believer in Jesus is rejoicing, joy, hope, peace, life in Christ eternally. We need to believe that and be comforted by that this morning. Because one of the most painful questions we ask in suffering is, how long? How long, oh Lord? Well, there is an expiration date on your valley. We walk through them, one foot in front of the other, trusting the shepherd, trusting that when we can't walk anymore and we fall over, he's gonna come pick us up like the good shepherd that he is and carry us because it is finished. 
Jesus wins. Even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Where does David draw his comfort in the valley? He doesn't say, even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil because it's actually not that dark. It's actually pretty easy. I mean, it's, it's not ideal, not as good as the pastor, but it's not that bad. It's not what he says. He says it's the darkest valley. It's pretty bad. He doesn't say, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll, f- I'll fear no evil because I got this. I got this. Check me out. I can do this. I can get through this valley. One foot in front of the other. I got this. No. He's, it's a dark valley. He's, he's struggling. Where does he draw his comfort? I will fear no evil for you are with me. The greatest comfort, the deep comfort, the only real comfort that we have in the valley is that the shepherd is with us there guiding us. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Every shepherd carries two things at all times. This was so cool to learn about this week. They carry a rod and they carry a staff. These are significant. A shepherd's rod is used to protect and correct his sheep. It's a club, it's literally a club. It's made from a young sapling or a small tree. They uproot it and they whittle it down and where the trunk meets the roots, they whittle it down and form a dense ball at the end that they can use to beat off attacking predators for correction of the sheep when they're putting themselves in harm's way. The commentators who study this passage agree that this rod in this text is alluding to God's word because God's word is God's authority. It carries with it the power of thus saith the Lord. God's written word is potent. His promises, his will, his words are an extension of his mind and his ability to enact them. David is saying, when I am in a dark valley, Your word is my comfort. It's your authority. It's your ability to do what you want in any circumstance. Moses himself was a shepherd in the desert land of Midian when he was called by God to deliver the Israelites from captivity in Egypt. And not coincidentally, when Moses was sent to Egypt, God vested his authority in Moses' shepherd's rod. This is really cool. It was through Moses' rod that the 10 miracles and the 10 plagues came that the Red Sea was parted. Moses' rod was proof of his divine commission to Pharaoh and it was a comfort of his divine commission to the Israelites as they wandered. It was his rod that reminded people of God's spoken word and his authority and his power. So for us, as we travel through dark valleys, we need to learn to trust in God's rod, his spoken and written word. We have to look to it, see its promises, sweet promises like Romans 8, 28, that these things that become like pad, like, oh, cool, put it on a coffee cup, but I don't actually believe it. No, actually true. Like God actually is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Or 2 Corinthians 4.17 that says, these light and momentary trials that we endure are accomplishing for us a glory that far outweighs them all. He's saying your suffering is not wasted. Like all of this, there's a glory on the other side that it's earning for you moment by moment as you suffer here. Or James 4, 7 and 8, resist the devil and he'll flee from you but draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Beautiful, sweet promises through God's rod, his word. Secondly, every shepherd carries a staff. This was one of the more beautiful and moving images I encountered this week as I studied. Shepherd's staff is a long, slender stick with a large hook on the end. It's the most commonly associated. You picture a shepherd, you're picturing a staff. You're playing a shepherd in the child's play. You're a four-year-old with a staff. Right? This is what we associate with a shepherd. And this is why, because no other prof- there are other professions that use a rod. 
There is no other profession that uses a staff. It is exclusively reserved for shepherds. It is an item specifically designed in every way for the care of sheep. Everything about a rod is for the good and comfort and care. Everything about a staff is for the good and comfort and care of the sheep. And whereas a shepherd's rod was symbol, is symbolic of God's word, his staff is symbolic of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. A shepherd's staff has three primary uses. The first is to draw sheep together. It's a hook. And if a, if a child, if a little ewe or lamb wanders away from its mother, the shepherd will literally grab his staff and pull the sheep back together and draw them together. So one of the things that the staff does is it brings sheep together into intimate relationship with one another. Similarly, that's one of the functions of the spirit for a sufferer. Watch be a sufferer and watch how the people of God surround you, care for you, reach out to you, love you, pray for you. It's the Holy Spirit through his staff drawing us together in the valley. Secondly, the shepherd uses his staff to draw sheep to himself for examination and care. So if there's a sheep that's skittish or afraid of the shepherd, he'll gently come along with his staff and draw the sheep in. He'll use the staff to pull apart and spread the wool off the sheep to check its skin for any sort of infestation. He'll use the staff to make sure that the sheep is not scared away as the Lord draws near, as he draws near. Similarly, the shepherd, the Holy Spirit, draws us to God in our sufferings. He draws us near in vulnerability and intimacy with God. Thirdly, the shepherd uses his staff to guide sheep through dark valleys. For this, he uses the other side, he'll hold the hook and he'll literally, as the sheep walk through dark valleys, put the staff gently on the side of his sheep as they walk in front of him to guide them and show them which way to go. One of the coolest things I read this week is that a shepherd literally, it's, his, it's like a way of holding hands with his sheep. Like he has favorite sheep and he'll put his stick on their side as a way of friendship, as a form of saying to the sheep, I'm connected with you, I'm here, I've got you. And the sheep and the shepherd will literally develop this sort of love relationship like a pet owner with a dog, definitely not with a cat. <laughs> so I just wanna end here. There is a lot, a lot of comfort here for us in the shepherd's staff. And I just wanna say, as you walk through a dark valley, if you're suffering and you're wondering where God is, if you're longing and saying, God, when are you gonna get me back to the green pasture? Watch for these three things. His, the rod, his word comforting you, but also see and pay attention. I've walked recently through some stuff that's been fairly difficult in my life. And it's been amazing to me to watch emails start coming in from people I haven't talked to in like months, just saying, hey, I'm praying for you. To see the body here at Story City come around me and say, I, I love, we love you, we got you. This is the Holy Spirit's work through his staff drawing us together, drawing us to himself. Don't try to do this alone. If you're walking through a valley, the worst thing you can do is isolate. The shepherd is with you this morning. The shepherd is for you this morning. The shepherd is leading you to higher ground this morning through whatever valley you face and he will prove it, he is faithful. So don't lose heart. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this truth this morning. We thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you love and care for your sheep, that you guide them through valleys, that you're faithful and present. And so for anyone in this room walking through valleys, and for those that are in good times with valleys ahead, teach us what it means to keep in step with your spirit, to walk through valleys with you, trusting that it's not a dead end, but that you're guiding us through it for our good, to grow us, teach us, make us closer to you, make us better ministers of your word to one another. So many good things happen in the valley, Jesus. Help us not to despise it. And thank you for David who wrote this beautiful song. It's in Jesus' name, amen.